You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 153, MTV. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is September 1st, 2014, so happy Labor Day. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about MTV. Now, over the holiday weekend, I visited Austin, Texas, and I'll be talking a little bit about that. And while I was on the road, I used my SX-64, my portable Commodore 64, to record this episode. So let me go ahead and get that loading in, and while that's loading, we'll have a little bit of time to chat about my trip on this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading time. Loading time. So, welcome back, listeners, to another new episode. I have uh, been doing some traveling for work. I've been doing some other things. I've been uh, had my focus lately has been on writing. I've got um, two or three books right now that I'm currently working on, and uh, so I tend to overfocus. I, I focus on one thing really heavily, and, and then other things tend to get away from me. So. Uh, the podcast has kind of been on the back burner for the last month or so, but, um, we're back. Uh, we mean me and the voices in my head, uh, for another episode of you don't know flat. Uh, as I mentioned, I did just get back from Austin, Texas. That was not a work related trip. That was a, uh, a leisure fun family vacation. My, uh, we didn't have any plans for Labor Day weekend and my wife suggested that we, uh, she just said, Hey, you want to go see what's in Austin? And I said, okay. <laughs> so it was really as simple as that. Austin is, um, about 400 miles South of Oklahoma city, uh, about a six hour drive. So we got the kids, uh, Saturday morning, we hopped in the car and we drove down to Austin. Uh, we did a lot. Uh, we crammed a lot into the last, um, basically two days, day and a half, really, uh, we, uh, went to eat at a few places. We visited my favorite thing on the trip was we visited the museum of the weird in Austin, Texas, where we got to see uh, all kinds of things. They had a bunch of, uh, casts of, uh, Bigfoot, uh, footprints, like copies of the, uh, uh, Roger Patterson footprint. If you've, uh, probably the most famous, uh, Bigfoot sighting of all time. Uh, they had some movie props. They had some, uh, different things like that. And then they had a, um, sideshow performer who, um, did some, some basic sideshow type tricks. Uh, he did the, uh, blockhead performance with, if you're familiar with that is where you take a nail and hammer it into your nose. Uh, and then he asked for a volunteer and my nine-year-old daughter volunteered and went up on stage and pulled the nail out of his nose. Uh, at which point he said, you might think that's brains on the nail, but it's not. Um, my nine-year-old daughter does not need encouragement to be sticking nails in her nose <laughs> at her age. So, uh, But uh, it, it was a, a good show, and I really enjoyed the Museum of the Weird. 
We uh, did a few things. We ate at some local spots. We uh, went and saw the bats. There's a, a bridge in Austin that has somewhere, depending on the time of year you go, between 750,000 uh, and 1.5 million bats underneath it. And so if you go at dusk, all the bats leave at the same time. It looks almost like smoke coming out from under the bridge and the bats take off. So that was kind of cool to see. Uh, and then I visited Pinball's Arcade, which is another retro arcade. And I'm not going to talk too much about that because I got a feeling I will be doing an episode about Pinball's Arcade in the near future. But um, Pinball's Arcade has um, over 100 pinball tables and then about 75 uh, retro well, I say retro, old and new arcade games, and they have about another 75 uh, ticket redemption games, which my kids love. I didn't even go in that area, to be honest with you, but um, uh, pinballs, and it's pinballs with a Z, and I will add that to the show notes. But um, basically, I mean, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get too much into pinballs, but I will just say that it's a really nice place, really uh, clean arcade. Everything was in uh, really good condition. The pinball tables just, uh, look fantastic there. Uh, it's not like some of the other retro arcades I visited. It's not a cover charge and everything is free. Instead, it's all token based, just like a classic arcades were. So the games were 50 cents to play and the pinball tables. Most of them were 75 cents. There were a couple that were a little higher. I found a couple that were a dollar, uh, and the wizard of Oz, which is a, uh, basically a brand new table, um, was, uh, I think a buck 25 per flight per play, but, um, you know, there's not that many of them around right now. So you got to pay to play sometimes, but, uh, we really enjoyed our time at pinballs arcade. So, uh, I'm going to, let's see. Oh, you know what? I do want to talk about, I don't even know if anybody cares, but, uh, my server died last weekend. I, I talked about this on the blog. If you don't follow robohara.com, that's where I talk about uh, a lot of these things, but my, uh, server died, which, is uh, host to my web server and a few other things. Uh, those all run on, on virtual servers that sit on top of the server. And so uh, the hardware, the motherboard actually died, and I was able to just pull the hard drives out and get those uh, virtual servers off and, and host them somewhere else. I've had people tell me I should move my website to the cloud, which would solve that problem, well, to the cloud, you know, to hosting, uh, to web hosting uh, site. But um, I have servers that do a lot more than that. I have a, a media server. I have, um, I actually have a domain controller so that everybody at the house can log in and, and, uh, they can have drives where they can store things and I back up their files. So, uh, there's a lot more than just the web server, you know, that's one part of it. Um, but, uh, so I, you know, I, I try not to see when, when hardware like that dies, I don't, I try not to see it as a negative. I see it as a positive, because that's an opportunity for me to buy new hardware. And so I did. I bought a um, an AMD quad-core uh, 3.8 gigahertz processor and a new motherboard. And I got a new case, too. My old case is probably the noisiest uh, computer case I've ever owned. It had fans all over the place, and they were noisy fans. And uh, so anyway, new server, 300 bucks later. Oh, and I, and I doubled the RAM. My old server had 8 gigs of RAM, which isn't a lot if you're running virtual servers on top of uh, a windows box. So the new server has 16 gigs of Ram and, uh, things are, are going fast now. So I'm very happy with the new server. Um, I have done through, uh, my work, I've done a lot of work with security and I've done a lot of work with, uh, uh backups and disaster recovery. So, uh, it's always, you always get nervous when something like that dies. But, uh, fortunately my, my 
disaster recovery plan worked just fine. I didn't lose any data. I was able to recover everything and, and brought everything back up. So, uh, new server, it's running, it's humming along and everybody's happy. So, uh, I'm going to now get to feedback emails. I got a lot of feedback about episode 152, the star Wars, uh, show. Um, and I was, uh, and this is kind of dated information now. It's been a month or so, but I was, I did appear on the podcast. I grew up star Wars. I'll add a link to that in the show notes, but, uh, Tom, uh, Burgess who runs the, I grew up star Wars, uh, website and he has a Facebook group and it's just full of, of awesome pictures of, uh, uh, you know, pictures of star Wars toys from, uh, when they were new, the vintage stuff from the seventies and eighties. And, and, um, he also has a podcast he's doing now and it's really cool. Uh, I, I really, you know, that's obviously anybody who, uh, literally grew up star Wars, like I did. That's, that's my favorite era of star Wars toys and things to talk about. So it was great to talk, uh, with Tom on his show. Again, I will add a link to that. Uh, episode 152, I forgot to mention on that show that that suggestion was Gary Burton's idea. Gary has been a uh, listener to this show and, uh, to throwback reviews. He's been a big supporter of our stuff, uh, and Sprite Castle. So, um, you know, if you have ideas for shows, you can email them to me or tweet them to me or send them on Facebook, however you want to get them to me. And, uh, hopefully in the future, <laughs> I will uh, give credit where credit's due. So thanks again, uh, to Gary for, uh, the idea for doing a show about Star Wars games. Um, so here is some of the feedback I got about the Star Wars episode. Um, here is a comment from Flojo Mojo who says, did not mention Rogue Squadron Unforgivable. And um, you know what? I would almost say that he's right about that being unforgivable. I love Rogue Squadron. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning of that show that there were over 200 games, uh, and I knew that I was going to skip uh, a lot of them and, and some important ones. And so that was unintentional to not mention Rogue Squadron. I do, uh, I really did enjoy Rogue Squadron. Uh, good, good game and good series of games. So that's uh bad on me. Um, here is a comment from Greg, uh, who left a comment on my blog. That's another way. If you go to podcast.robohara.com, uh, you can leave episodes, uh, you know, on each episode, you can leave feedback. Uh, Greg says he discovered the podcast a few weeks ago. He's been going through the older ones at work. Uh, he says he loves star Wars games almost as much as I do. And my podcast is highly entertaining regardless of what I'm talking about. Um, then he says that the volume is too low uh, and that it's it's not um, very loud. So I'm going to work on that. I'm going to make sure that the volume uh, – I'm going to double check and make sure uh, that it's um, a listenable uh, level. And then Greg comments on something that nobody else – I'm being sarcastic – commented on. And he says that uh, I messed up on the Knights of the Old Republic games by saying that it is a MMORPG. Uh, and he corrects me and says that it is an RPG and not a MMORPG. Greg is absolutely right. And I think what happened is when I was recording, a lot of times I, I write out notes or I write out little things and then I improvise as I'm recording. And so I believe that I wrote out um, The Old Republic and which I believe I hate to even say it now, but I think it is an MMO RPG. Um, 
but uh, yes, Star Wars The Old Republic is an MMORPG. But instead of saying Star Wars The Old Republic, I said Knights of The Old Republic, which is not an MMORPG. Uh, so that is my bad. And uh, thank you, Greg, uh, for pointing that out. Also, uh, Greg listed his personal top five Star Wars games, which are the Star Wars Arcade, uh, the Star Wars Trilogy Arcade, which I got to play at Pinballs. I haven't played that in, in a long time, and, and that is still a really good game. Great graphics, lots of fun. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic, Star Wars Alliance, and Star Wars Rebel Assault 2. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you, Greg, for that. And um, let's see what else we have here. I got a comment from uh, Rohan on Twitter who said he has never read or heard a better roundup of Star Wars video games. Uh, obviously, Rohan doesn't know anything about uh, MMORPGs and Star Wars, or he would have pointed out um, <laughs> that it was a terrible list. But uh, thank you for saying that. Uh, Rick Reynolds, uh, our friend over uh, fellow uh, throwback network recording uh, podcaster, asked if there were any video games based on the Star Wars holiday special material, which is an interesting question. If, you've, uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, I'm sure you know the history of the Star Wars holiday special. I won't go into all that, but it was a uh, Christmas special that aired one time and, and focused originally on Chewbacca's uh, family. And so I did a little research, and actually uh, Star Wars Galaxies does feature uh, Life Day, and also Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds uh, does feature Itchy as a player in the game, which is uh, uh, one of Chewbacca's family members. So there are a couple of games, apparently, that uh, they've brought the Star Wars Holiday Special. I assume uh, those are you know kind of done as a, a little wink to the Holiday Special, which is George Lucas's uh, least favorite part of the uh, Star Wars universe, but he doesn't own it anymore. So too bad for him. Maybe Disney will release the Star Wars Christmas special on Blu-ray. That would be something. Lady J uh, says that she enjoyed the podcast, but um, the small qualm she has is that Knights of the Old Republic is not a MMORPG. It is an RPG. So uh, a lot of people pointed that out to me. Um, so thank you, Lady J. Um, and, uh, then I got an email from a listener named Dylan. Uh, and, uh, so I'm kind of separating Dylan's feedback from everybody else. Um, Dylan wrote, and I'm going to take out some of, uh, Dylan's personal information here, but he said he wanted to let me know how much you don't know flack has meant to him. Uh, Dylan says he was diagnosed with liver cancer earlier this year and he's had some pretty hardcore surgeries that they took out two thirds of his liver and that he was in the hospital for 31 days. And he says that my show and the retros podcast have really given him a great way to escape and relive his youth. Uh, he says he was born in 1980. I'm a little bit older in, in 73, but, um, you know, the same era. I mean, we both grew up in the eighties. Uh, Dylan says he thought the cancer was gone, but now he's had to have another MRI and he's waiting for some additional results. Um, first of all, I just have to say when I started doing this show, I, <laughs> I never would have imagined that, um, uh, you know, that, that this podcast, that anybody would be listening to this to get them through anything really. I mean, I'm just a guy, you know, sitting in my house with a microphone or whatever. And so, uh, I, I feel it's, it's hard to explain the way that makes me feel, but it makes me feel definitely, 
uh, honored that um, that you know I, I'm able to do that for somebody, and I, I hope that the show uh, is entertaining. And, and you know, if it if it gets your mind off other things for a little bit, then then that's awesome. Um, he also says uh, um, that he's been going through the backlogs, and uh, he says that he heard me say it helps. Uh, Give you know if people give me a reason to record and let me um, know that people are listening. So he says, uh, uh, "Thanks for doing that." Like I said, I, I, I'm it's hard for me to put into words what that means to me, but it really does mean a lot. So I really appreciate you writing uh, and letting me know that, Dylan. And I hope uh, everything is uh, turns out for the best for you. And uh, this this episode is is dedicated to you, my man. So. I hope, uh, like I said, I hope you're feeling better, and I hope everything turns out okay. Uh, and then Dylan adds down here at the bottom, by the way, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic is not an MMO. <laughs> Are you kidding me, Dylan? Golly. Oh, after all the nice things I just said for you. Uh, he says it's an open-world RPG, and it's great. And I'm kind of giving Dylan a hard time, but Dylan did, <laughs> did mention that. So uh, I will still dedicate the episode to Dylan, even though he let me know that. So, uh now, things that are banned from the show. I know that uh, my friends uh, Mike and Carrington ban listeners from their show, No Quarter. I'm banning certain topics. Uh, the number one topic is no one is allowed to tell me anymore that I mix up uh, gigahertz, megahertz, millihertz, any of those things. Uh, I'm just going to say megahertz like that from now on, and it will just cover any hertz uh, that are – it makes my brain hurts is what, <laughs> what it does. Um, so from now on, I will just say hertz. Uh, it's probably what I did. I probably said Hertz instead of Mega Miller Mucha Hertz or something. I don't know. Uh, so number one, that is banned. No one is allowed to tell me that I mix up um, my Hertz anymore. Uh, and number two, nobody's allowed to mention uh, MMORPGs anymore on the show. <laughs> I'll be right and I will delete your feedback. <laughs> Not really, but uh, anyway. So, all right. We are through the feedback, and now we are going to get to episode 153 of You Don't Know Flack, where we will be talking about MTV. Oh, my gosh. I almost forgot to mention. Uh, if you have feedback about this episode or any other episode of uh, You Don't Know Flack, you can email your feedback to me at robohara at robohara.com. You can leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flack voice mailbox, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. Uh, there is the Facebook, you don't know flat page. You can find me on Twitter as Commodore. However you want to get me a message, you can reply on my forums, uh, which you can find on robohara.com. There's a link to my forums and, uh, you can reply to the actual podcast, which is podcast.robohara.com for you don't know flat. So any of those ways you want to leave feedback, you'll get them to me. I will compile them and read them. And I appreciate all those. So, uh, without further ado, let's move into episode 153 MTV. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. We've gone for main engine start. We have main engine start. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll.
So in the late 70s, there was no MTV, and my father had erected a microwave antenna on top of our house, and this antenna got HBO for free. This was before um, scrambling of channels. All you had to do was have an antenna tuned to the right frequency, I guess, a uh, to the hertz, and <laughs> you'd be able to pick up a TV channels. So, so uh, on our television, on Channel 2, we got free HBO. And uh, so we did that for a few years. And then one morning, August 1st, 1981, my sister and I woke up and turned on the TV and we did not have HBO. Uh, instead, we had MTV. So for whatever reason, I don't know the technical reason, but whatever was broadcasting uh, HBO on that frequency changed. And suddenly we were receiving uh, MTV instead of HBO. Now, when MTV launched, I was seven years old. My sister was four years old. And um, we would watch MTV, especially in those early days, all day. We would turn on MTV and leave it on all day. And um, I don't know if, if people know this or not, but especially in the early days, there weren't that many videos. Um, there were blocks. I think I would say, I mean, in my memory, it would be like every two or three or four hours, something like that, where – um, the block of videos would just repeat. So you would see the same video uh, over and over throughout, uh, especially in the early days, you know, throughout the day. Um, MTV had VJs, which were like DJs, disc jockeys. These were video jockeys. Uh, and they would come on in between the videos. They would introduce the songs, and I thought they were super cool. They would always give uh, trivia about the bands they were about to talk about or whatever. And, you know, for me, I've been a lifelong fan of trivia. I love music trivia as it relates to bands and movie trivia and behind the scenes type of things. So for me, this was cool. I mean, all I knew about bands at that point was, you know, what I heard on the radio. Occasionally a DJ might say, you know, something about a band or whatever, but, um, but the VJs would go into detail and list something. And, and that was uh, really cool. Um, so when MTV started, not a lot of people were making music videos for, uh, MTV. So a lot of early videos were just live performances. And of course, everybody knows, uh, Buggles, uh, video killed the radio star was the first video played. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot, like I said, a lot of the early videos were just, um, you know, bands performing and there would be something weird like flock of seagulls. I ran, I, I remember that video where the camera just rotated around and seemed like everything was wrapped in aluminum foil or, um, you know, madness, our house. That was our early video. I remember where it was just, uh, bands, you know, the band playing this song, but they would have, uh, you know, little silly things or people in costumes running around and stuff. So, uh, it wasn't, uh, the art form that it later became in the early days. I think for the most part, it was just, um, you know, live, uh, live. There was a lot of concert performances, but then it was just people would say, Oh, you need a video. And so they would, you know, rent a space and it would be a recording of them playing their song. You know, there was a lot of creativity, I don't think in the early days, but, um, what people noticed was that record sales uh, correlated with people who had videos. So if you could get a video on MTV and get it played, uh, then people would find out about your band. I mean, if you think about the thousands and thousands of bands that are out there, um, like Flock of Seagulls, everybody knows Flock of Seagulls, Iran. There's a, a million bands that sounded just like them, but 
they had a video that got into rotation and suddenly they became a household name. Um, a few years later, um, I would say the early eighties is when uh, heavy metal started appearing on MTV. And that was, uh, my first exposure to, you know, the radio here in Oklahoma, surprisingly did not play a lot of heavy metal. Uh, but I remember being at a sleepover at my neighbor's house and we were staying up late and MTV showed, um, I think it was shout at the devil by Motley Crue and looks that kill. I remember those videos and the scorpions rocky like a hurricane. And, uh, uh, so to see these things, you know, being a little kid and all of a sudden you're seeing, uh, guys with spiky hair and makeup and all these things was, um, it was actually a little scary as a kid, but I do remember being really excited, you know, and, um, uh, of course there were, um, bands that took that stuff seriously, you know, like that wanted to, uh, uh, I mean like wasp that, that really wanted to portray that scary image. And then there were the ones like twisted sister who would take it, um, almost as a parody, you know, um, it, it's funny to me now. I remember at the time there was a big push against twisted sister because their video for, we're not going to take it. Uh, was so violent. And if you watch it now, it's literally like a cartoon. I mean, it's like a Bugs Bunny, uh, or, you know, Roadrunner type cartoon where, um, the, uh, the dad who's getting beat up, which I think is, um, what's his name? Niedemeyer from, uh, uh, Animal House is just getting pummeled. And, um, you know, it's, it's like at one point he, he, uh, falls into the, you know, into the ground or he sticks up against the wall and then peels off. It's just like a wily e. coyote stick. Uh, but people, you know, parents were up in arms. Oh, this is so violent. And, and, um, looking back, you know, it's, it's just so silly. Um, but you can look at a lot of bands, um, that were made from appearing on MTV. You know, if you look at, uh, something like the beastie boys, their song, you got to fight for your right to party. Uh, you know, probably without that video catching on, uh, it wouldn't have caught airwaves. It wouldn't, I mean, you could never be sure whether or not, you know, it would or wouldn't have been played on the air, but, uh, definitely the video helped propel them, uh, into stardom and, uh, and launch their career. Uh, I did find a little bit here. I wanted to read about Duran Duran and Duran Duran is one of the bands that really took, um, the the art form of music videos to the next level and if you uh if you haven't ever watched classic albums uh it's a uh, i believe it's a uk series where they look back at classic albums and how they recorded they bring band members back into the studio and they play original tracks uh and if you're a fan of music and especially how albums are recorded it is a fantastic series you can find some of the episodes on youtube uh, or peer to peer, wherever you find episodes, if you're episodes of shows, if you're not in the UK and you want to watch UK shows, so look in those places, but there is one on, uh, the behind the scenes of, uh, the creating of the Rio album. And, uh, it's really awesome. And they show a lot of the stuff about how they were making the videos for, uh, hungry, like the wolf and, and Rio. And they talk about how the band had, had gone on vacation and, uh, thought they were going to be, uh, uh, going to one place and they ended up going, uh, uh, now I forget where it was South America or something, but, um, uh, their luggage got messed up. And so they only had their suits. And so, uh, when the album began to take off, uh, their, 
they decided to shoot a video and all they had were these suits. So this became this iconic look for Duran Duran to wear suits, you know, these uh, brightly colored suits and things when it turned out to be a, a happy coincidence. But anyway, on uh, uh, Wikipedia's entry for Duran Duran, um, and I'm going to just read a paragraph here. It says, uh, at first, the Rio album did not do well in the United States, EMI in the U.K., had promoted Duran Duran as a new romantic band, but that genre was barely known in the U.S. And EMI's American subsidiary, Capitol Records, was at a loss about how to sell them. In June 1982, Duran Duran appeared for the first time on American television. They energetically performed Hungry Like the Wolf and Rio on Dancing on Air, which was the forerunner to the national hit show Dance Party USA. Uh, let's see, this goes on and says how shy the boys were, and they kidded each other about how bad they looked on TV. And then skipping ahead, it says MTV placed hungry like the wolf and several other Duran Duran videos into heavy rotation, pushing it and Rio into the top 20 on the U S chart. So, and this is a clear example of a band that was not doing good in America, uh, that got a second chance based purely on MTV, uh, video play. Uh, it says they, uh, Went in the top 20 on the U.S. charts in 1983. Save a Prayer did well. And then it says, uh, there's a quote here. It says, the band was a natural for music television, noted Rolling Stone magazine. They may be the first rock group to ride in on a video wave. In the end, the Rio album peaked at number six in the U.S., remained on the charts there for 129 weeks, almost two and a half years. Um, so Duran Duran is definitely one of the early bands that uh, made a career based off of their videos and their videos. If you've seen, or if you've not seen, uh, and sometimes I, I take things for granted, but if you've not seen the video for hungry, like the wolf, I can't imagine anybody my age hasn't seen that video. But if you, uh, haven't, obviously this was at a time where Indiana Jones had come out and was influenced a lot of things. And so if you watch the video, you know, it's, they're running around in the jungle and, um, Simon LeBond's wearing a hat that, um, that's not a fedora, but it is reminiscent of Indiana Jones, hat and um it, it's it's very cinematic it's not like the videos that preceded it the videos that that came before that were bands playing music and this was like a little mini movie you know and um so duran duran big on mtv and then came michael jackson and michael jackson <sighs> michael jackson is so difficult to discuss among age groups, because my kids, uh, who are nine and 12 know Michael Jackson. Actually, they don't really know Michael Jackson other than, uh, classic songs, but I think, you know, millenniums, maybe people in their twenties see Michael Jackson as this freaky guy who was really weird, who messed up his face and his body with plastic surgery, um, and was, uh, an accused child molester. I mean, if you're in your twenties, that's probably, how you see Michael Jackson. People like me uh, in their 40s who grew up in the 80s, there is nobody I wanted to be more than Michael Jackson in the early 80s. I mean, normal people in the Midwest wore Michael Jackson jackets, and we tried to dance like Michael Jackson and spent hours on the playground. I spent hours after, you know, in the evening trying to perfect a moonwalk. I mean, it was... Michael Jackson was huge. He was everywhere. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I looked up some, some records that says on MTV, there was a point in the eighties where, 
Michael Jackson videos were played once per hour. So every hour there was something uh, on Michael Jackson, whether it was Beat It or um, Billie Jean. I mean, these songs were were huge, you know. Uh, And then came Thriller. And Thriller, I remember, um, I have this on videotape. I I videotaped it. I recorded this when it came on. Uh, Thriller debuted. And it was like a world premiere, and it you know the original thriller video is like fifteen minutes long it was and it was a mini movie I mean it starts out with this movie, and i it was uh uh directed by John Landis and uh Rick Baker, who I've talked about on throwback reviews. Rick Baker was a childhood hero of mine, he did special effects um for um an American werewolf in London, he did special effects, he worked on Star Wars on the cantina scene. Uh, Rick Baker, uh, is, uh, just an amazing, he's still in the industry. He did, um, special effects for men in black. He does all kinds of things. And, and Rick Baker was a hero of mine. Um, and, uh, so he did the, uh, werewolf effects and thriller. And so this thing was amazing. And to tell you how popular Michael Jackson was, my dad had our, uh, and this, this was, was pretty rare at the time. He had our living room stereo hooked up to our television. So, uh, through some manner of switches, some switch box, you could record uh, like cassette tapes of things that were on television. And I recorded the 15-minute version of Thriller. And the next day, I rode to school. I took my boom box, which took like 400 size D batteries, and this recording of Thriller and played this 15-minute thing. And I was the hit of the school. I mean, at recess, we listened to it. We listened to it on the bus to school. We listened to it on the bus on the way home from school. And it was such a huge event, you know. And so, uh, you know, MTV especially for people like me who lived in the Midwest, MTV was, uh, it kind of like brought us, eh, what's a good way to put it? it? It made an even playing field for everybody. Um, you know, if you lived in California or Florida or New York, you found out about musical acts sooner than those of us who lived in Oklahoma did. I mean, the, the fastest, before MTV, the fastest way people found out about music, I guess, I mean, could be a radio, but even... Um, you know, radio in, in the Midwest was probably behind other areas, but there were music magazines that were, they came out once a month, you know, and, and they had to be printed. And, and so, I mean, they might be a month to two months behind on music news, but MTV, I mean, when they debuted thriller, we all heard it. People in New York heard it at the same time as the people in Oklahoma and Nebraska and Utah and wherever, you know, so, um, it made this national thing. It was a national platform for bands and for news. And, um, uh, you know, it was MTV that really pushed people wanting cable television. There was a huge ad campaign, uh, called, I want my MTV. And there were, then they would get celebrities. They would come on and they would say, I want my MTV. And the way that you got MTV was subscribing to cable. Um, unless you were like us and you had a, an antenna on top of your house. Um, but, uh, MTV actually pushed cable television sales. America demands your MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. MTV music television, video music, 24 hours a day, and a stereo. Call your cable company and say, I want my MTV. So I I made this list um, of uh, 
bands. I mean, just the videos I remember, and I and I'm not going to talk about bands uh, like specific bands really. I but uh, I just wrote this list. Like I have Huey Lewis, The Cars, Cindy Lauper, Madonna, uh, Peter Gabriel, and his video for Sledgehammer. But the reason I wrote these down is because band uh, images, performers' images, became very important. Um, you know, if you think of like a band like The Cars. Um, or Cindy Lauper. Let's talk about Cindy Lauper. You know, um, before I mean, I didn't know what any of the people on the radio actually looked like, unless their face was on the front of their album cover. And if I went to Walmart, I might see, um, you know, what their what their face looked like. But for the most part, I didn't know what these people looked like. And all of a sudden, um, on MTV, you know, now you see you see Cindy Lauper with this crazy red hair and half of her head shaved and these crazy dresses and these dances she did. And, um, you know, suddenly you had to look, you couldn't just, you know, be the performer in the studio or whatever. You had to look the part and the people that stood out on MTV were those people with strong images. If you look at Madonna and, uh, you know, her, her infamous performance of like a virgin on the MTV music awards, where she rolled around on stage in a wedding dress, uh, singing about how she felt like a virgin for the first time. I mean, this is iconic imagery. This is, um, you know, important, um, uh, to your career now is not, like I said, not how you perform, but how you look when you perform. And so, um, and, and these, these artists, I feel, you know, pushed one another. Somebody would push the bar, obviously Madonna, um, push limits, um, stereotypes, racial, um, boundaries, all these things with her videos, but as you know, it got attention and it got her on the news and it sold albums. And, and so lots of people did that. Um, I just jotted a note down here. I just have one little line, um, but I had some cousins who lived way out in the middle of nowhere and they couldn't get cable television. They couldn't get anything and they couldn't get MTV. And so, uh, one thing I would do is they, uh, they bought a couple of six hour videotapes and they would give me one and we saw them all oh, a couple of times a year. And so they would give me a tape and before we would go visit them, I would throw the tape in and I would put it on MTV and hit record. I would record six hours of MTV. Uh, and then I would take it down to them when we would go visit and they would give me the old tape. And so, uh, so we always traded a tape and then before we would visit, I would take that tape and re-record over it. So, um, that was really the only way that they had exposure to MTV. They, they couldn't get MTV where they were, but, um, it was such a, a cultural thing that they wanted to be a part of, uh, that I would take these videotapes, recorded videos and man, I wish I hadn't taped over those. I wish I still had those. Uh, I do have some videotapes of MTV and I'll be talking about that here in a little bit, but, uh, uh, I wish I just, you know, had those tapes that had all the commercials and the videos and, you know, there's a lot of. You know, people remember the bands that were big, but there were a lot of, you know, one hit wonders or even no hit wonders that had videos, but people have forgot about them, you know? And, and so when you watch these, you forget that not every band was, was Madonna or the cars or, or whoever, you know, there were a lot of bands that had songs on MTV and came and went and that was it. One videotape I do have is of, uh, I have a couple of different years worth of the video music awards, the VMAs. And to me as a kid, the VMAs were more important than the Grammys, the Academy Awards, anything like that. I mean, the VMAs were the show I would watch every year because that was, um, what was important to me was, you know, popular music and who was 
going to be the most popular. Um, there was always drama on the VMAs. There were people, there were things that were going on behind the scenes. Um, there were some famous ones. If you remember, there was a, uh, the first year, I believe it's the 92, um, MTV music awards where uh, Nirvana was playing and, um, Chris, uh, Chris Navaselic, guy, I probably said that wrong, but, uh, he throws his bass up into the air to catch it and it comes down and hit him in the head. Uh, and then Kurt Cobain thought he was kidding. So he kicks him. Um, but, uh, then they start screaming, hi, Axel, hi, Axel. And they're yelling at Axel Rose. I guess there had been some confrontation, uh, before the show began backstage. And this led to Axel Rose coming back, threatening to beat up Kurt Cobain, which is kind of ridiculous if you think about it. Um, but this, I mean, this was a secret world before prior to this, you know, this was of bands, um, and grudges and things like that. And suddenly, you know, we were a part of that. We're watching this unfold live. Uh, and it was very exciting. Uh, there was a an altercation uh, when uh, I believe Kid Rock showed up with Pamela Anderson, who had been uh, Tommy Lee's wife um, and was now his ex-wife. And uh, the two of them uh, punched each other in the face. And that was exciting. Um, there was also a, uh, a feud between Vince Neil and Izzy Stradlin, guitarist of Guns N' Roses. I mean, and apparently there's a feuds of Guns N' Roses and everybody, but um, that that was uh, what led to the, the big feud between Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses. Um, so, uh, and in fact, there was a time where it was rumored they were going to fight, Vince Neil was going to fight Axl Rose on pay-per-view. I don't think that ever got off the ground, but um, uh, what else did I have? I know that um, Poison, Brett Michaels and CeCe DeVille at the VMAs had a fist fight. I don't I don't. I believe I was right after a performance, and I think that's kind of where uh, Poison broke up. Uh, but there were just so many iconic moments. I also remember um, when Michael Jackson came out and performed Black or White with Slash on guitar, which to me was like two worlds that would never meet. But uh, yeah, seeing those two uh, perform together, uh, it was just simply amazing, you know. So the VMAs was a big, big part of my childhood. Um, I, you know, they, I know that a friend of mine was just talking about the 2014, uh, music video awards and I didn't even watch it this year. And I probably haven't watched it in at least five years, maybe more. I just don't care about, um, modern pop music. Um, all these little starlets with, uh, uh, you know, effects to make their <laughs> auto tune and everything else. It's just not, not me anymore, but, but when I was into music, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, th there was nothing more exciting than that live moment of watching uh, the VMAs and sitting on the edge of your seat just watching uh, uh, what might happen. Now, for those people that didn't have MTV, there were uh, a few alternatives. And the biggest uh, or most well-known that I know of is Friday Night Videos, uh, which came on every Friday night. And, uh, you know, it was like MTV, but it's just a couple-hour program. And, uh, so I watched that because I could get that in my bedroom before I had cable in my room. I would watch Friday night videos, but, um, and it was, you know, kind of the best of the best. So it was, it didn't have a lot of filler. MTV had a lot of filler videos, but, uh, Friday night videos was a, a good alternative. If you just wanted to see it, it was kind of a top 40 version of, uh, MTV, if you can think of it that way. Now there were a lot of shows that begin developing on MTV. And I'm not talking about reality shows and I'll get to that. But, um, one of the earliest ones was called 120 minutes. Um, I would have thought that I didn't realize it was that old. 
Um, but uh, according to, again, Wikipedia, 120 Minutes began on March 10th, 1986. And um, here are some of the bands. This is a list uh, that they played. I'm going to skip through some of these. Jesus and the Mary Chain, New Order, The Replacements, Weezer, Robin Hitchcock, Stone Roses, Oasis, Blur, The Butthole Surfers, Radiohead, KMFDM, Kate Bush, The Ramones, The Smashing Pumpkins, Sarah McLaughlin, uh, They Might Be Giants, Dinosaur Jr. These are all bands that got played um, on 120 Minutes. 120 Minutes was the alternative uh, music show. So there are a lot of these bands, you know, began uh, or debuted their videos on 120 minutes. And if they got popular, it would move over to the regular uh, rotation. In fact, um, Nirvana's music video for Smells Like Teen Spirit was actually debuted on 120 minutes. But, uh, you know, it made the leap from that show over into a normal rotation on MTV. Uh, there was a another program it's called a companion program they say um called alternative nation uh, which came in the 90s on mtv but 120 minutes was a place where a lot of alternative bands got their first uh, break on mtv now for me the biggest show on mtv uh well i would say one of two really uh was headbangers ball headbangers ball began in 1987 oh hold on i'm gonna play the headbangers ball <clears throat> Put your headgear on, cause the boot be hanging on the headbangers ball. For the next three hours, we promise you nothing but the loudest and heaviest music around. There's also a mega load of international guests dropping by tonight. This hour, the British are heard from with Wolf's Bane. Next hour, check out Japanese medalist EZO. And in the final hour, it's a band from the Bay Area. It's Vane. Plus, you'll see brand spanking new videos from Soundgarden, Jailhouse, Kill for Thrills, Lizzie Borden, Bad Brains, and Queensryche. This hour, you're in for videos from Guns N' Roses, Dangerous Toys, Bonham, and Babylon AD. And watch for details on how you can contact Queensryche and get a chance to solve their video mind crime. But let's slam into the ball with Faster Pussycat. Here's Poison Ivy. Headbringer's Ball began in 1987 and went through 1995. The first year, it was hosted by uh, Kevin Seal, who not many people remember the show from them. Uh, then it was hosted by Adam Curry for two years. Uh... Adam Curry, everybody saw Adam Curry as kind of a poser. Like he was not a real heavy metal kind of dude. He spiked up his hair. He looked like the guy that heavy metal people would pick on. Um, Adam Curry, here's a couple of uh, random trivia facts for you. Number one, uh, Adam Curry was a, um, oh, what would you call it? Like a pioneer, I guess, in the internet. Uh, Adam Curry invented or created the term podcast. Um, and so I guess we all owe Adam Curry, uh, a little bit of, uh, gratitude or thanks for that. Also, Adam Curry registered MTV.com, uh, which he personally owned and he ended up selling for $29 million. So even though we might think Adam Curry, we didn't like his hair or his leather jacket, uh, I'm sure he's crying all the way to the bank. But, um, so Adam Curry was a host of Headbangers Ball for a couple of years. 
And then it was taken over by Ricky Ragman. And I think of those as being the, the best years of Headbangers Ball. Ricky Ragman was the co-owner of the Cat House Nightclub. And he was uh, personal friends with Axl Rose. If you watch the Don't Cry video Ricky Rackman appears in that video, and so a lot of people have said that that's how I believe it. I believe it's confirmed that that's how Ricky Rackman got the job, uh, is by being Axl Rose's friend. And so Ricky Rackman was able to get all these great uh, people to co-host the show and come on and everything. So that was really the best time uh, for Headbangers Ball, in my opinion. Now Head- Headbangers Ball was on every Saturday night from uh, Central Time. It was on from 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. Uh, and so later on, I don't think it started out this way, but later on, um, they would have a top 10 countdown of the top 10 metal songs of the week and headbangers ball definition of metal was uh, pretty loose. Um, the first hour of the show, uh, and I have some recordings of headbangers ball I have on VHS. Um, the first hour of this tape that I went through recently, uh, the first hour of the show has Motley Crue, it has Bon Jovi, it has Def Leppard, Warrant, Firehouse. So it's definitely your more popular. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure anybody would call Firehouse, um, you know, headbanging music or whatever. But, you know, uh, or Bon Jovi. Uh, but, you know, it was whatever was popular. And if you had big hair and long hair or whatever, that would probably get you on the first hour of Headbangers Ball. Now, the second hour... Definitely gets into more metal. And on the second hour, some of the bands I wrote down that are on this episode that I have was Iron Maiden, uh, Judas Priest, Smashing Pumpkins, and Kiss all appear in the second hour of this. So this is definitely maybe not your um, headline leading, you know, big bands at that time. Uh, I mean, not to say like Kiss or uh, Iron Maiden weren't big bands, but, you know, definitely not ratings drawing. But but uh, a lot of people just tuned in for the, you know, started on the second hour. And then on the third hour of the show, there were lots of older videos or more obscure bands or brand new bands. On this one, there is a uh, a debut of uh, Danzig. Uh, his, uh, I believe it's Twisted Cane is the video. Um, Corrosion of Conformity is on this one. And so lots of, uh, you know, bands that aren't, weren't big name bands at the time, you know, but um, definitely uh, cool to see. I I worked um, starting in, uh, let's see, when would that have been? 89. Uh, I turned 16 in the uh, summer of 89. And uh, I had to work most Saturday nights. So I would put a tape in the VCR and would program it to tape MTV from 11 to 2. And then I would come home and the next morning I would get up and watch Headbangers Ball. I would sit there and watch three hours. Well, I wouldn't watch three hours. I'd fast forward through uh, the Bon Jovi videos. But. Um, I, I remember, um, when, uh, Pantera debuted five minutes alone and it was like an, you know, a big deal for me when Motley Crue had their world premiere of Dr. Feelgood, um, Queensryche, uh, during the operation mind crime days, there was, you know, huge debuts. It was, it was very big deal. So if you were into heavy metal and again, um, you know, if you think about being in Oklahoma and getting the news through magazines and this and that, it was a long wait. But when there was a world premiere, you know, of Dr. Feelgood or, or, you know, um, the things that were, uh, all the stuff with operation mind crime, those things were unfolding in real time for all of us all across the country, all at the same time. So, um, the headbangers ball had intro music 
and clips, and they were all from uh, a band called SOD, which uh, stood for Speak English or Die. SOD was a one-off band led by uh, Billy Milano and um, uh, Charlie and – gosh, I didn't write any of this down. I'm trying to think. Uh, Charlie and Scott Ian from Anthrax and uh, Dan Lilker from uh, Nuclear Assault. And they, they were all recording with their own bands in the studio. They got together and they wrote uh, S.O.D., which is a uh, n- very un-PC album being called Speak English or Die. Um, and so I had never heard of S.O.D., but – uh, you know, they had all these video clips like going into and out of commercials and things, um, and they featured little clips of SOD songs. And that's where I found out about SOD. I, you know, so, so for me, absolutely 100% Headbangers Ball sold albums to me as a kid. Um, you know, I would find out about a new act and I would go right to Sound Warehouse and buy the cassette or, you know, later on the CD. Um, but, but there was definitely a correlation for me between, you know, the, the videos and the songs that were appeared on Headbangers Ball and, uh, and, you know, what I spent the money that I earned. Now that, uh, Headbangers Ball debuted in 1987. The following year, 1988, there was another show, which I would say was equally as big for me. Uh, and that was Yo! MTV Raps. Now, Yo! MTV Raps uh, ran from 1988 to 1995, uh, the same year. It ended the same year as Headbangers Ball. Um, it was originally hosted by Fab Five Freddy, who I did not know that name. The only way I knew that name was from Blondie's rap from uh, Rapture. And uh, uh, she mentions Fab Five Freddy, who was from New York City. He was a, a, a rapper. And, uh, so this was the first time I'd ever actually seen him or knew that he was a real person. I just thought it was a name she had made up to be honest with you. Uh, and then the show was taken over by Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, not, uh, the Dr. Dre from, from NWA. Um, but, uh, you know, I was into, uh, eighties rap. Uh, I, I knew the beastie boys. I had a friend who turned me on to run DMC. I had another friend that turned me on to the fat boys. And so these were the things I knew. Um, and then MTV raps came around and all of a sudden I heard KRS one for the first time. I heard EPMD, um, gosh, just thinking, uh, Eric B and Rakim, uh, Mantronics, Kid Frost. Um, uh, and it was, it was like headbangers ball in the fact that there was a lot of fluff, but you know, in between, especially later in the show, there would be some real rap artists that, um, uh, I remember that's where I discovered public enemy. That's where I first saw, um, grandmaster flash, you know? So these were, um, I mean, my exposure to rap in Oklahoma was not big. Uh, there wasn't a lot of it being played on the radio here. So what I knew came from basically like some of the hip hop, if you will, movies, I mean, like breaking or uh, beat street, things like that. But there wasn't a lot of, uh, exposure here for rap music. And so when MTV raps came on, that was my exposure. And the same thing, you know, there were a lot of things going on in the coasts and in in more progressive parts of the country that hadn't made it to the Midwest and MTV raps made it where, um, you know, you did, uh, uh, get to see that. Um, 
I mentioned before Alternative Nation. That was a show that was on from 92 to 97. It was hosted by Kennedy. Um, it was uh, popular alternative music. Of course, by this time, 92, um, you know, some of the things we refer to as alternative, I mean, like Pearl Jam was alternative and, um, you know, these bands that were alternative were all of a sudden being played, you know, had top 10 albums and, and top 10 uh, records. So it wasn't really alternative in, in the uh, way that um, 120 Minutes had been. There were other shows that were not music related that came out. And the, the first one that I think of uh, was um, Beavis and Butthead, which actually um, – uh, the real world precedes Beavis and Butthead by year, but I'll talk about Beavis and Butthead. They came out of a show called Liquid Television, um, and uh, Beavis and Butthead, I'm sure you are familiar with Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> Beavis and Butthead um, were known for two things. One, they they had um, cartoon episodes, and they were short enough where you could show two within a 30-minute period. But also, they would watch the videos that were on MTV, and they would comment on them. So, uh, And they were typical little teenage metalheads. So anything that was uh, uh, lame or whatever, they would call it out. And if it was – I remember there were videos like, oh – ACDC or Motley Crue things that they would go crazy over. Um, and I have read that uh, White Zombie really um, became popular after they were featured on Beavis and Butthead, you know, and they were, um, I won't say underground, but they weren't, they weren't really being in the, they weren't in the public uh, eye until they were featured on Beavis and Butthead. So Beavis and Butthead, same as MTV and some of those other shows, were able to push bands into the public limelight. Now for me, I wrote down this thing, a little note here. It says, when did MTV jump the shark? And after that, I wrote the real world. This is the true story. True story. Seven strangers (laughs) picked to live in a loft and have their lives taped to find out what happens. (laughs) What? When people stop being polite. Could you get the phone? And start getting real. The real world. In 1992 was the first uh, season of The Real World. Um, Everybody watched it, everybody that was on MTV, and I thought that it was a great idea for a show. I liken The Real World to um, the game Doom or Doom 2 or Quake, depending on what era you relate to. I thought Doom and Doom 2 were good games. I did not realize at the time that they would launch an entire genre that people would still be playing 20 years later. I just didn't see that. I thought they were a good game and then I was over it, you know, and then every game that came after that to me was exactly the same game. Uh, and I know that, you know, Call of Duty and uh, those type of games are some of the best selling games, but I, I've been over that genre for 20 years now. And to me, the real world was a, um, uh, an interesting take. It was an interesting idea where you put a bunch of people in a house that didn't know each other, have them live together and film it. And 
Uh, I thought it was a good idea for a show. I didn't realize that it was going to launch a genre. I had no idea that people would be doing that 25 years later, 20 years, whatever. Um, I mean, we still do that and we have the celebrity and we have this and we have that. And, and, um, you know, that led to road rules and and we led to all these things where I just felt like it was a one-time thing. I thought it was interesting and I was over it, but apparently, um, they, nobody else was over it. (laughs) It was just me. Um, there, uh, also in MTV was where a lot of people first were exposed to, jackass um and jackass i won't really go into that i enjoyed certain i still do uh there are parts of jackass that i find absolutely hilarious um i don't like when the guys from jackass prank unsuspecting other people innocent people that are not involved in the show that's not my thing uh but if they want to hurt themselves or each other i'm all for that i will watch that all day long (laughs) if they want to you know hit each other or or uh, you know, get hit by bowls or whatever they want to do, jump off things, uh, set themselves on fire. I'm all for that. It's, it's when they bring innocent people into the show that I'm not a huge fan of, but, um, uh, these things always, um, I mean, they, it's all about ratings. And, uh, as, uh, these shows, uh, began airing more and more, they, they got better ratings. And, um, so you started seeing less music videos on MTV and more of these type of shows. Now I'm going to jump here to a Wikipedia entry called list of programs broadcast by MTV. And I'm not going to read all of them because there are hundreds on this list. Um, but, uh, just going through here under reality series, there's the, and, and this is for me, I mean, this is the death of MTV for me. Um, once they started moving into reality programming and there was some cool old shows, I'm sure I'll, I'll see some on here. So literally this is not planned. I'm looking through this list and I'll be talking about shows that I see here. Um, under reality series, there's the real world, 16 and pregnant teen mom Two. who cares? Snooky and JWoww, God, the Jersey Shore thing, that's terrible. Uh, Catfish, Keisha, these are all stupid shows. I mean, I, I you know, uh, I should mention, I guess I'll go ahead and jump forward and mention this, that in uh, 2010, MTV officially dropped, uh, if you've ever seen the logo, it's MTV, which stood for music television. So it said MTV, and underneath the logo, it said music television. In 2010, MTV officially dropped the part that says music television. So the name of it is just MTV. Now the M no longer stands for music. It's just MTV. And, and I think, and I mean, in 2010, they acknowledged what we had all known for, for a decade was that they were moving away from showing music videos, which, you know, if you grew up in the eighties, that's what MTV was. Um, let's see under comedy series, they have, uh, punked, Pranked, Ridiculousness, and Girl Code. Um, I do watch Ridiculousness. I do like Rob Deerdeck, um, and and uh, I like his previous shows. Um, scripted series. I don't even know what any of these are. Awkward and Finding Cotter. I've never heard of that. Okay. Um, let's see here. So under past, this is historical music series. Golly. Headbangers Ball, Turn of Nation, obviously. Um, Club MTV. That jumps out at me. That was a... 
a uh, show. It was like a dance party type thing. They would have spring break specials and and um, you know people dancing or whatever. But um, not obviously not. I'm not the intended audience for that. But it was uh, uh, a big thing. Um, let's see what else here. The grind that was the same thing. I, is that the was the grind? Dan Cortez is that where he got his start? Golly, there's one, two, three, four. There's twenty, four. There's got to be eighty different things here. Um, let's see if I see anything else here that jumps out. Uh, total request and total request TRL, uh, where they would count down videos. Um, Twelve Angry Viewers. That was a show where they would um, uh, have they would show videos and they would make fun of them. It was really a real life version of Beavis and Butthead. It was actually pretty terrible. And I, and I remember that was where um. Vanilla Ice got on, they showed his video, and then he decided he would destroy the set with a baseball bat. I believe Janine Garofalo was on with that. Um, so, yeah, that was that was history. Um, news series, there's about 30 shows listed here for that. Um, MTV News uh, used to show every hour. On the hour, there would be a blurb with Kurt Loder. Um, that was, uh, you know, if you wanted to find out what was going on with a band or whatever, or an album or a tour or something... Uh, MTV news is a great place. Here's the problem. I see reality series and I wish I could count how many are here, but there's at least a hundred reality series. Um, and none of these, I mean, celebrity, I'm just going to read a few names here. Celebrity rap superstar engaged and underage. Well, that's a good one. Um, what else here? I want a famous face. Okay. That's stupid. <laughs> uh, Jersey Shore, of course, Laguna Beach. Oh, God. I mean, th- this is really my super sweet 16. Pimp My Ride, that was a show that kind of uh, launched a genre of taking people's crappy cars and uh, building them up into cars that are worth, you know, twenty or $30,000 so they can immediately sell them. <sighs> Room Raiders, that was another uh, silly show where they would raid people's rooms and find embarrassing things and I'm sure it was all fake. Um, golly. Um, uh, I don't know. Just lots of, uh, of course, wild boys. That was the spinoff, uh, after Jackass. Um, all right. What else we got here? Oh, celebrity shows. This is another, uh, classic genre on MTV where somebody would become famous and then we just give them a show and follow them around. Um, Carmen and Dave, that is obviously, um, Carmen Electra, and, uh, oh, Dave, what's his name from, uh, now he's on that ink live, right? Dave Navarro, uh, the Osbournes, uh, that was, uh, I've, I've never watched a sadder program. I grew up thinking Ozzy Osbourne literally was the son of the devil. Uh, I grew up afraid of Ozzy and all his stories of biting the heads off of bats and doves and things. Uh, and then to watch him hobble around a house yelling, Sharon, um, it was really sad to watch. Uh, the Ashley Simpson show. There's a ratings rocket. Um, <laughs> what else here? Uh, Adventures in Hollywood. That was a, I watched that. There's only six episodes of that. It was, um, th- I think it's three, six mafia. I don't know. Um, Hillary Duff. This is now, and it says one year. So apparently that was not a, uh, a big one. Polly D project. Ugh, God, Miley, the movement. Fortunately that moved right off. 
Um, but yeah, so that's what MTV has become. Oh, competitive series. Let's see here. This was, um, oh, there's a lot of dating, stupid things. A shot at love with Tila Tequila. So if you wanted to get whatever disease Tila Tequila has, you could go compete for that. Uh, really, you got to think on a show like that, the winner's really the loser. Uh, lip service. I think that was a lip syncing, uh, competition. They have remote control was actually a good show. Uh, and that's, uh, Colin Quinn, um, Carrie, who else was on there? Adam Sandler, I think first appeared on there. Um, remote control was a great game show. I don't know if there's any, I'll look on uh, YouTube. If there's episodes of remote control, I'll, I'll add a link to one. Um, silent library was a silly show. My kids love silent library. It's, uh, where you had to do gross things, but you had to not set off the, uh, <laughs> The sound meter, you had to be uh, um, quiet while you were eating gross things or doing whatever. I don't know. Just a lot of uh, things here. Oh, Paris Hilton, my new BFF. God help whoever won that. Um, comedy series, I don't, uh, Buzzkill, I recognize. Doggy Fizzle Televizzle. I'm going to say that again. Doggy Fizzle Televizzle. That is terrible. <laughs> I'm old. Uh, the Jenny McCarthy show. I remember that Kevin seal, totally Polly. Polly shore was a big part of MTV. The weasel. Um, who else? Oh, the Tom green show. Yeah. Tom green and Syphil and Ollie, both of those, um, Tom green, you know, was a, uh, he had his own cable access show. He got on MTV. Um, and then they kicked him off. He, for being Tom green basically. And now he has his own, sh you know, uh, I think he's back on television somewhere, but um, uh, Tom Green was a big thing for a couple of years. The Syphil and Ollie show, um, <laughs> they that was a uh, a goofy show, and I the takeaway from that was the United States of whatever, which I will I'm going to put uh, at the end of this podcast. If you've never heard that song, that's um, a great great song. The Syphil and Ollie was, um, you know, there are a lot of things that were you know alternative on MTV, and you would watch it. And sometimes they were funny and sometimes they were weird for the sake of being weird. Um, so, you know, some some stuck, some didn't. Uh, let's see. Drama series. There's 10 of those. I'm not reading those. Animated series. Um, of course, there was uh, – we mentioned uh, Beavis and Butthead and then uh, Daria spun off of that. Um, Eon Flux. That was a big thing. Oh, there were all these. I remember these from Liquid Television, The Max and The Head. Um, I forgot Ren and Stimpy was on MTV for a while, 93 to 96. Um, what else is listed on here? Eh, nothing, nothing I watch. Lots of animated things. Um, and then talk shows. That's the last, oh, it's not even the last. Um, my goodness. Um, uh, there are a lot of things listed here that are not music television. Oh, the new Tom Green show, the John Stewart show. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, then it has lists for special things for whatever award shows. Um, but, but here's, here's the, the takeaway from this of all that stuff that's on there. None of it says big blocks of music videos. And that's what MTV was for a generation, for my generation. When you say MTV, that's what I will think of. That's what I will always think of. Whatever this thing is now, I don't consider that to be MTV. MTV was music television. MTV was a channel that played music videos 24 hours a day. And yes, they had blocks. They had a block of rap and they had a block of heavy metal and they had blocks of alternative videos and whatever. But 
that's what it was. It was music television. It was music video that brought images. I mean, it put video to music and it brought – it made those people stars and made them uh, video stars. And so I don't even know if bands today – I mean, I, I I do see videos being made by new artists, but I don't know why. I mean, I guess they put them on YouTube or, or Hulu or, or – whatever but um you know i guess they get released that way but it's not like and i here's what i don't understand i don't understand why mtv doesn't exist the way mtv used to exist um in other words mtv was a giant commercial for pop music so on mtv you would turn on mtv and you would watch the bands that you liked like headbangers ball and you would see, like I mentioned, you'd see Motley Crue and you'd see uh, uh, whoever, Bon Jovi and Def Leppard. And then you would see Corrosion of Conformity, which is a band I had not heard of. And I was like, oh, this is a great song. And I went and bought Corrosion of Conformity's album. I mean, this is advertising 101. You put things that people don't know about with things that they do know about and expose them and, and they'll purchase it. I mean, it was literally a th- for music industry, it was a 24-hour commercial that had millions of viewers. I don't know. I honestly don't. I don't know why they went away from it. And even if MTV wanted to branch into the reality world and that's what it is today, I, I looked at on my cable, I looked at MTV yesterday. I scrolled all the way through for a 24-hour thing. And there's nothing on there that says music videos. It is literally 24 hours of programming. Um, so I, I do know that they have small blocks of music videos from time to time, but for the most part, I mean, it, that's dead and I just don't understand it. So, I mean, I, I can't, if you were a television executive and you came up with an idea of a channel that showed commercials 24 seven and people were dying to watch it, why would you get rid of that? I don't, I just don't understand that, but, but that's the way it is. So anyway, um, the last thing I wrote here, uh, I just wrote a, a bullet point that says video jukebox in my arcade. So, uh, in my last house, as a lot of you know, I had an arcade in my backyard. I had 30 arcade games, uh, but I also had a TV that I had set up and I'd linked to a computer. And so I had gone over the years through the news groups and peer to peer and websites and everywhere else. Uh, and even a lot of them, I had converted myself from VHS over to the computer and I had collected a few hundred music videos. They're mostly from the 80s. They're mostly – it's not a lot of obscure stuff, and it was all uh, family-friendly type videos. You know, there were uh, videos, especially in the UK. There were some that had um, uh, female nudity, you know, topless women. And so if I ran across some of those, I took them out. Um, I, I know um, like Duran Duran Girls on Film, there's two versions of that. There's the uh, uh, European version and then the US version. So – uh, so I made it all family friendly and I just basically made a playlist where it would play them in random order. So, uh, I would go out to the arcade, turn on all the machines, uh, have people over and then I would fire this up and it was my own little personal MTV. It was a thing that showed random music videos. Um, and, uh, people loved it <laughs> and people, you know, more, they were like, oh, I remember that video and I love that. And I love that song, you know, and it just brought back that, um, that era of the eighties. I mean, something that goes with the eighties and, and arcade games and music and all that stuff were these music videos. Uh, and now since I've moved, I, I don't have the arcade anymore. 
I have a few machines out in my garage, but they're they're not even hooked up right now. Uh, but I do have all those music videos stored on my media server at home. And so every now and then I will show my kids. We'll be sitting in the living room and I'll flip over and uh, I'll play a couple of random videos. I just showed the kids um, uh, Hungry Like the Wolf as I was talking about this. They, they've seen the Michael Jackson videos. They have the Michael Jackson Has a Greatest Hits uh, DVD, which they've watched. So they know that. Um, I showed them Sledgehammer, a few other videos. And my son told me, he said, you know what would be amazing is if they had a TV show that just showed music videos, that they just showed this. And I mean, I was just dumbfounded. I'm like, you know, from the mouths of babes that there's a desire for that out there. There's a market for it. I don't understand why they don't do it. And I don't think it's me with, um, uh, what's the phrase, the rose tinted glasses looking at it, you know, um, you know, with a nostalgic view, I think it would, I honestly think it would, you know, put up, uh, and even VH1, you know, for a long time, VH1 kept playing videos when MTV didn't. And now VH1 is mostly uh, programming too, but, um, to put a, a TV channel that showed up, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties music videos, I I'd watch it. <laughs> My kids would watch it. A lot of people would watch it. So I don't know why that doesn't exist, but, um, but it doesn't. So if you want to watch music videos today, you could go on YouTube and search for almost any video you can think of. People have uploaded, uh, thousands of music videos, thousands and thousands of music videos. Uh, so if there's a, something I mentioned on this show or, uh, an old favorite of yours, go out on YouTube and do a search for that. And I bet you'll find it. wraps up another episode of you don't know flack thanks so much for tuning in if you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of you don't know flack you can email me at rob o'hara at rob contact me on twitter at commodork follow the show on facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack that's all one word or leave me voicemail on the you don't know flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF you Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack. What's your problem, man? Isn't this over yet? No, it's not over yet. You, they still got the rest of the show to go. Whatever. That's so a cliche crap saying whatever. I can't believe you. Yeah, you're, right. You know, it's just stupid. You can you can sit here and say whatever at me all show, and you may think you look cool, but it looks really dumb. Yeah, whatever, dude. I don't, I don't know. Whatever, you know. I just I I got the tude now, you know. Whatever. I don't care, you know. It's like just whatever. I'm letting it happen. I'm freewheeling. Dude, if, if your attitude doesn't change, I'm just not going to do the song with you. Whatever. I went down to the beach and saw Kiki. She was all like, eh, and I'm like, whatever. Then this chick comes up to me and she's all like, hey, aren't you that dude? And I'm like, yeah, whatever. 
So later, I'm, I'm at the pool hall, and this girl comes up, and she's all like, uh, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Because this is my United States of whatever. And this is my United States of whatever. And this is my United States of whatever. And then it's 3 a.m. I'm on the corner wearing my leather. This dude comes up and he's like, hey, punk. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> then I'm throwing dice in the alley. Officer Leroy comes up and he's like, hey, I thought I told you. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> then up comes Zaffo. I'm like, yo, Zaffo, what's up? He's like, Duh. I'm like, that's cool. Because this is my United. 